Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. This regular host Aaron Percival, aka Corporal Hicks, and joining me as always is... Your usual partner in crime as you say, Adam Zeller or Ridgetop. Oh, forgot to do themed again. We're, we're colonial marines in this one. You're uh, you're my squad leader. Oh. Over in the six against okay. alien invasions. Or excursionists, specifically. Yes, excursionists. Because we're the best. The best of the best. Damn right. And joining us once again, two consecutive podcasts. This is amazing. This is unprecedented in the AVP Galaxy podcast history, I do believe. This is Mr. Lee Byrne, a.k.a. Who the fuck? Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me back. This is definitely the first time I have done consecutive podcasts. We, we mostly because let's be honest, yeah, mostly because we got really into these books and wanted to finish it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because the the one the one a year plan just went out the window. Because me and Lee were just like, "Fuck it, let's keep going." These are these are really good. And again, I ended this one being the same. Being like, Adam, come on, hurry up. What do you mean you want to postpone the recording? I want to start the next. Hey, <laughs> I, I only wanted to postpone for two days because of a scheduling conflict. So don't give me that. It was still too much. That was two days me and Lee could have been reading this thing because we were mature and decided not to start in case it muddled our memories, which is fair. But welcome to 2023. That took me a minute there. It's, it's still that weird period of, is that the right number? But yeah. You guys have a good Christmas? Good New Year's? Yeah, it's pretty low key for me. Not as big of a family gathering as I usually had, but just did a small little thing with my girlfriend and her sister and it was a fun time. So had a Christmas dinner, had some presents. I got some alien loot, which is always good. You know what? We, I should have said, bring bring the alien loot. We can have a little show and tell on, on the podcast. Or two of you can. Well, yeah. Actually, I didn't actually get any alien guff for Christmas this year. But you got immensely drunk and uh, what did you order? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I I was reluctant to get the uh, next Marvel Alien collection because, you know, they're a lot of money and money's tighter at the minute. But then I got very drunk on New Year's Eve and ordered Alien Volume 3, Alien Volume 4 and Predator Volume 1. So that went well. So you spent 300 quid, pretty much? Mm, not quite. <laughs> 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 okay, no, they're they're about eighty, aren't they? I got them for seventy three a pop, I think. Okay, that's not bad. They are worth it. They've been good. They mm. Yeah, I just. Got oh yeah, for what one. you get, they're good value. It's just you know, it's a lot to splash down at once. But I was thinking yeah. about it, and I figured if they all sold out, and I didn't get them, having got the first two, and having been saying to myself for years that I would get the comics if somebody collected everything like Marvel are doing, I would have been really annoyed if I'd missed out. So that was why I got them. The only one I'm kind of umming and ah in is the fourth volume because I think it's like all the modernish Dark Horse mm. comics that they did. And it's like, yeah, but I have them all in individuals or in their own fancy pants versions on the shelf there. So do I really need volume four? So they don't have any notable re-releases that haven't been done? Uh, it's got Colo- it's got Colonial Marines game tie-in, which and isolation, yeah. right? Isolations in it, yeah. So yeah, there's a couple in there that are yeah. hard to come. They're by. they're pretty they're pretty rare. Yeah, the random one-shots from various promo events. Yeah, they were just at various conventions, I think. Although I got I got isolation because they did it free around when the game came out. They released it for free online, so I got yeah, a digital the PDF. copy of that. Yeah. I think I got mine from, well, it would either be Birmingham. I think it was a Eurogamer at Birmingham or a London one. So I've got a copy. Bagged and boarded. It's bagged and boarded, guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this now with my Alien and Predator stuff because Marvel brought out those storage boxes. I got a signed copy of the Isolation one because I won the little contest uh, Creative Assembly did. Oh, nice. Christmas-wise, I did okay. I got the giant 
Lanard Predator behind me on the shelf there. And I got the Atax figure, which has been a Kenner figure that I've wanted for ages. I was making money when it was more of the McFarlane's sort of era. So I never really got many Kenner figures, just a couple. But I got Atax for Christmas. I was quite happy. And I treated myself to Necker's Prowler Alien from Fireteam Elite and Eagle Moss uh, Hero Collectors. You know, they have many different names as Alien Head, Aliens, sorry, Headbust. And I just, we were talking off the air about this. And I hate that I've done it because I love it so much. But I also got the Mezco 112 Jungle Hunter. Ooh, Aaron's getting into the premium figures now. I really hope I don't, I'll be honest. <laughs> oh, you, will, you won't regret it. We were sat here talking before we started recording, and I, I started taking it out of the box because I only just got it yesterday. I haven't took it out yet. And I was just geeking out over the little details and the quality of the figure. And that now I fear I'm going to be spending £100 pound on, on figures. <laughs> I still remember £15 AVPR or, or Predator's NECA figures, and it, it makes me bristle whenever I'm spending 50 quid on a NECA figure these days. But damn, that Mezco one is nice, and I am very much looking forward to getting there, big chap. But we've already, di- uh, we've already diverted. We are continuing our little review series of The Rage War, a big AVP. We talked about this last time as well. You know, they're all individually branded books, but it is an Alien versus Predator series. And we are today reviewing part two, which is Alien Invasion and not Titan's worst cover. Let's be honest. Even though it is more Colonial Marines alien. It's, it's more Colonial Marine renders, but not their worst. Titan covers tend to be like the two that are good and then just the rest. Well, there is some awful as well. Yeah. But yeah, come on, we'll, we'll keep pressuring them. So, before we start talking our thoughts on this one, we've cheated because we discovered that these books actually have, and I love this, by the way, previously on The Rage War at the start of each book. So we're going to cheat. Lee is going to read us out the previously on Alien Invasion. And it's a summary you'll see at the start of the third book, AVP Armageddon. So we, we can't cheat like this for the next book. We should have cheated like this for Incursion. And Does the third one not have one? Well, yeah, we're reading from the third one, but we won't be able to summarize the third one. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, I (laughs) see. I I thought you wanted me to summarize the first book before we go into this one. No, just just read the Alien Invasion part of this as our uh, little... We're trying to to cater towards the people that might be interested that haven't read the book, but I I loathe the idea of going through it little by little, so I like to do the... um, Normally, I would just read the blurb, but yeah. So a little change in plan, Adam's decided to hog the spotlight and he is going to be the one reading the summary. So they do have both summaries in here. They have a summary for Predator Incursion and Alien Invasion, but we'll just be reading the one for this book. And, and yeah, these, this is an AVP arm get in, but this is the summary for Alien Invasion that's featured there. Johnny Mains and Leader are rescued by another excursionist unit and they send a warning into the human sphere. Someone or something is launching an attack with weaponized xenomorphs using ancient fine ship as nurseries. The rage invasion has begun. As their forces start taking control of drop holes, their ships penetrate further and further into human space. The attacks are brutal. The colonial marine defenders stunned by a series of terrible defeats. After forging an uneasy alliance with the Yacha, or the Yaucha, as the uh, book narrator says, scientist Issa Pallant is convalescing? 
but quickly finds herself drawn into the heart of the conflict. Django and Yvette Tan, seasoned scientists with a grudge against Weyling Yutani, find themselves hunted by Indies, mercenaries hired by the company. But the Rage War is bigger than all of them, and when Lilia lands on their space station chased by Rage General Alexander, enemies must join forces to protect her. The Rage are sweeping across the human sphere, destroying all forces allied against them. Gerard Marshall, a Weyland Yutani company man, proposes an unthinkable option. Shut down all drop holes to avoid the rage penetrating deeper into the sphere. This will also isolate billions of humans across the frozen void of space. It's a doomsday scenario, but as more time passes, the closer doomsday appears to be. At the end of book two, Issa Pallant and the Indies are taken aboard a Yaucha. Ya- I hate that. <laughs> you hate that too, right? <laughs> Predators. The Indies are taken aboard a predator asteroid habitat where they can study the captured rage general together. Mains and leaders sacrifice themselves to destroy the Othello, a major blow to Beatrix Maloney and the rage. But even this might not be enough because Beatrix Maloney now plans to drop directly into Soul System and take the war to humanity some. So much shorter summary than me trying to remember everything that happened in that book. But yeah, what did we think of this one? And also... I suppose this one's directed more at mainly memories from when we read it before and whether any perspectives changed or things we didn't quite remember before. You know, surprises, stuff like that. That's right, because this is my first time that you two are revisiting this trilogy. Lee, since Adam stole your start, do you want to lead us off with your um, mini thoughts? Again, enjoyed it much, Lee. I always remember from the first time thinking this was probably the weakest of the three. And I think that's because it doesn't really have like a beginning, a middle and an end. It's it's just like, I think I think because it's the second part of a trilogy, you've sort of got the big star and the big finale in the other books. And this is just kind of the bit in the middle. So as much as I enjoy it, it's sort of missing something that the other two have. But there is some great stuff in it. I mean, you, you finally get to see the rage unleashing their army you know, on like a massive scale. And uh, it's it's pretty epic, like the, the big attack sequence early in the book where they just sort of throw everything they have at this little marine outpost and it's you know sort of way bigger in scale than the stuff we normally see in the books and um like i said i thoroughly enjoyed it it's uh, another good read so th- this is one i had the least memory of i think i think that's partly i think that's partly what i'm getting at it's, it's a good book but it doesn't not as distinct as the other yeah it part. doesn't have the big sort of memorable sequences it's just kind of like a series of events in the course of the war without any sort of overreaching sort of narrative or plot progression, which I don't know. I said, I, I still really liked it. So I'm, I'm, I probably sound like I'm bashing it, but I'm not, but it, it doesn't sort of progress where as, like the other two do. See, I was thinking about this today, actually, because on the same vein, let, let me say, I really enjoyed the book. I had memories of it being solid. I thought it was solid this time. Really enjoyed it to the point where, yes, I just want to keep going and I want to read the next part. And that has been a consistent throughout the first and second of these books. But I think I agree with Lee in that it certainly wasn't quite as good as the first book. And I was thinking to myself, does stuff really happen? But yes, stuff happens, but it's not quite as... I mean, it's very typical Alien in a lot of ways. You know, you have two plots with two different squads of Marines that are very similar you know, there ends up being different consequences of each one, but it, it is still very similar. And a lot of the action earlier is we throw a lot of aliens, at a lot of Marines. And of course, there are the unique elements to it, like the rage generals controlling the aliens and directing them and like the, the big changes, adaptations, you know, enhancements, whatever they, the rage want to call them to the aliens to make it a little different. But 
it's not quite as distinct as Predator Incursion was with the things it was doing or what we'll eventually see in Armageddon. Although I'm now trying to remember if one of the things I didn't really like about the alien control is in this one, but we'll have to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, I dug it. I did. I couldn't quite remember going into this one whether Johnny, Means and Leader survived the start of this. They did. They didn't survive the end of this one, though. So that one was a little bit of a surprise because Tim likes to kill people. He really does. And, you know, there's a good two chapters of just absolute fucking massacres in this, which are brilliant. I really enjoyed them. But, yeah, I thought I thought perhaps those two guys, those two characters were not surviving the start of this one. But they went out in a blaze of glory at the end. And I'm glad they did because I think it would have been a bit too much trying to do that cliffhanger twice. <laughs> Shall we say? Well, we'll we'll, t- we'll talk about um, specifics later. But yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. I'm happy to keep going. Uh, just not quite as good as Incursion. So Adam, first time, how are we feeling? So just like book one, I quite enjoyed this one. But I have to agree with you, Lee. This very much feels like a middle chapter. It doesn't feel like... I mean, it doesn't feel like as full of a story as we got in the first book, but it does spend a lot of time fleshing out these characters that we were introduced to the first book, such as uh, the Marine captain, the female one. What was her name again? The Snow Dog? Hallie. Hallie, right. So we get to learn a bit more about her as a character and uh, a number of the other characters as well, such as Lilia. We find out more about her internal conflict and her past. And we learn a bit more about the rage in that not all of the rage really agree with what's going on. And the ones that don't are kind of being used as incubators for the xenomorphs, which was pretty interesting. But yeah, overall, I really like this one. This is where all out war is raging now, no pun intended. And we see these epic battles that we're really not used to seeing in these alien books. And I think Tim Levin described them really well here. You know, they're very visceral and brutal and epic. And seeing the wep- the aliens used as weapons and controlled by these android generals was really intriguing. It's just something that we really don't see. Again, I could see how some people think this kind of takes the fear factor out of the aliens, right? As they're just essentially become military tools in this series. And that's something I felt like the book could use a little bit more of. Like it didn't delve into the horror aspect of the alien as much. But I guess in this kind of space opera story, it's not really focused on such things. I don't know if that changes really in the third book, but I would assume not. I did really like the Predators in this because there's kind of a peace or at least a truce going on between the humans and the Predators. And there's a bit more communication between the humans and the Predators in in this book and their uneasy alliance. And I really enjoyed what we saw that reminded me a lot of the Three World War comic with that. So I'm curious to see where that goes in the next one as well. But overall, another solid read, just like the first one. And I'm looking forward to completing the trilogy and seeing where this ends up. So I I don't know if I missed this, but you just said the the rage that disagreed were used as incubators. Was was that a, was that a one off case or two that I well forgot? the abandoned ships they found and and the um, they went the rage the people that were in the pods they, well they were other finesse ships right so the the fine ships were the colony ships that they hijacked they weren't the rage but they said something like they were rebelling and they were followers of yeah there, there was there was a rebellion but I don't think they used them as the the people that were impregnated on the ship they were the the colonists that they'd hijacked that were oh, originally okay. like they yeah and then I think. The rebels say that the general on board unleashes his aliens on the rebels. So the rebels will just get killed, I think. Yeah, I think they, he started hatching all his aliens early, or some of his aliens early to kill the rebels because the okay. rebels had done a good job to start with, if I remember rightly. But the rage were from the same fine ship. So 
It's interesting. It's different ships. Well, they were different fine ships, but they were part of the same fine group of ships that went out deep into space, right? No, the rage no, ships no, fine the, ships. the fines the fines ships went out before them. They're basically the covenant going out yeah. to go and colonize somewhere. And when they then subsequently left, they caught up to the fine ships and captured them and used them to breed the used the people on board to breed the aliens. But when all the rage ships were attacking, they were like, "Oh, it's an old fine ship, and it's been heavily modified." Yeah, because they've repurposed them. Oh. I see. Okay. They're basically just like birthing factories that they're bringing with them. Mm-hmm. Now. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm a bit confused there. <laughs> I thought they were like uh, another group of the rage that had tried to rebel or something like that. But that, I mean, that's the thing with this series as well. You know, it is a huge scope. We said on the last podcast, you know, the scope is galactic combat, you know, and there's a lot going on, a lot of um, planning and, you know, that kind of stuff that, that's going into place here. So I'll forgive you for getting confused there. Yeah, there were two sequences right next to each other too, where two different groups were kind of exploring these automated ships that both had human pods. And I thought it was the same ship and these two groups were going to run into each other, but they were completely different ships. And yeah, unfortunately this time around, Mains and Leader died, which I was rooting for them. I was hoping that they would get their, their rescue again because it's like, ah, oh, they're back in the same situation again. I'm glad they went because I think if they did, you know how you're saying like there were two sort of similar situations going off. That's where I was kind of like, it's feeling a little bit samey. And if they'd have survived and pulled another start of this book, end of the last book, I'd have been like, oh, Tim, come on. I mean, they went out with a bang. So at least certainly there was that. did. Mm-hmm. So they took out a fine ship, didn't they? They didn't take out. No, they took out the Othello. They took out the yes, no, Rage right, Command yeah. ship. Because it showed that that's when Beatrix changed her plan. Changed her plan, yeah, because she because that was that was her sort of ace in the hole. She was like the whole attacks that happen at the start of the book, it turns out they're all just a diversion. And then the other raid ship is supposed to sneak to Earth and take out the Colonial Marines command to basically cut the head off. But then, you know, the uh, Mains and Co stumble upon it and blow it up. So she has to rejig her her grand plan. It really made me wonder, though, like how many rage individuals there actually are, because these ships seem so automated. And, you know, these armies are just comprised of xenomorphs being led by singular android generals. And we see the rage leader, Beatrix Maloney, uh, and we find out definitively that she killed the previous leader of the rage before they had become the rage. Wordsworth, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. And and that's another thing. Uh, the book kind of questions like, oh, what's her aim? What's her what's her goals with this? And Lilia says, oh, she's just mad. She's just crazy. And yeah, I think we've seen in the real world that sometimes it's just one crazy person is all it takes to start a, a massive war. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to, to more of the rage society. I'm like, is it really just a couple of old individuals in these gel tanks at this point like i know they have a number of shipborne people that the they first have, book but... says there's 97 founders left who are the old so ones? they're the original like the og people who left earth and obviously there's some shipborne on top of that i don't think we ever get a number for those certainly not in these two books but there's obviously not a huge number of yeah the original not a, not a big society for one that wants to conquer the entirety of human space so I don't even I don't even think it's that she wants to conquer it. I think she just wants revenge. Yeah. It's 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 a pure vengeance driven story for her at the end of it, you know, which is quite aptly summed up with the name of their faction, you know, rage. And I think I think that works. Now, real quick, I did say that there wasn't enough xenomorph horror in this book, but there was one particularly horrific sequence where she essentially watches three humans being fed mm-hmm. to the queen one by one. <laughs> it's 
it's pretty messed up. So there was that sequence. Well, there, there's a good bit earlier, Lee. You you messaged me about it because you'd you'd forgotten it. Do you remember? Oh yeah, in in the the uh, one of the early battle scenes, and there's this just really like there's a few sort of alien deaths in like the books and the films that really stick with you above all the others, and this was one of them. One of the the alien disembowels this guy, and this is the guy's insides are all coming out, and then the alien stands on them and pushes him over, and I was just like, that is just oh, it's one man. of those things that just sort of touches a nerve. That's that's nasty. <laughs> that's grim. Yeah, horrible stuff. There's one I always remember from Cauldron, and it's not so much the death as it is uh, what they do with the body. And it's one of those moments I like towards the alien intelligence, where in Col- Aliens Cauldron by Diane Carey, the alien sort of like blows into the guy's chest to sort of make him sound like he's screaming as a trap. I bet Adam yeah, hasn't read I, that. No, I remember that. Yeah, no, that, yeah, Cauldron's not one of the ones I've read. Like it puffs air into his lungs, doesn't it? Yeah. To make to it make sound, make sound like he scream. screamed just to draw other people in. Yeah. That, that's one of the ones that always stands out with me. So should we talk specifics then, gents? Adam brought this one up and I think it's a good place to start and it is Aliens as Army and controlled and the assorted advancements, enhancements, whatever you want to call them. How do people find that element of this? Especially now that we saw them in action, you know, being led. We touched on these sort of things when we did the first book about, or I certainly said, stuff that I don't normally like being done with the alien happening in these books and being fine with it in this case. And I've been, I was sort of trying to think about why that was. And I think it's because these books are set so far out beyond everything else. I mean, it's like hundreds of years post resurrection that it's almost like Le Bon can do what he likes. And it, even if he's doing things like that, the aliens literally being used as a weapon, which is normally one of my pet peeves it sort of doesn't matter because it's so far away and you can just say well they've got the technology to do it this time and it works and there's a reason for it so yeah it it doesn't bother me whereas in a lot you know any other alien book it might but in this it doesn't and it is there's this great scene when um i think is it rommel is attacking the planet where where isopalant and the others are all stationed and you've got the aliens swarming all the ground forces and he just sort of swoops in in his ship just standing in the doorway just watching this stuff going on down below i mean it's it's kind of daft but it's also really cool like just have this sort of dude standing there watching the the carnage that he's unleashing with his blank android face like i always remember that visual as being one of my uh sort of takeaways from the book yeah i agree with you that one i think it's very um bond-esque yeah it's sort of super villain yeah it was it was fun. It was it's fun. charismatic, is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it was how the book describes these big alien swarms just going in into battle and the kind of firepower that the human forces are using against them that can just devastate them. But the xenomorph numbers are so overwhelming, like it says, three are there to take the place of of one that that falls. So yeah, it was really cool seeing those those big battles. But again, there there's no I know all these books are alien versus predator books, but there's really not a lot of alien versus predator conflict. So I kind of understand why they did it. And I'm hoping the third book has a bit more EVP in there with the big battles, because that that would be cool. 
you're right in saying that and you don't really see it but I, I love the bit where Hallie and co board the ship to try and recover they're trying to get one of the android generals so that they can be studied so they can try and work out how to counteract their control of the aliens and so they find this drifting raid ship and they go on there to try and get a general and the predators that have been shadowing them just sort of come along just for jollies just just to have a little hunt like they're there this sort of life or death mission to save humanity and the predators are there just sort of getting their rocks off having a hunt while the opportunity presents itself i loved that that was such a such a neat little moment in all fairness i think they did already know what hallie was doing i know i know that the the excursionists no they're not excursionists are they they're just they're just marines I know that they sort of like speculate that perhaps they're just there to get their jollies, but I, I think they knew what they were doing, you know, going in there as backup. I, I think maybe a little of column A, a little of column B, but I, I, I just love the idea that in the middle of all of this, they're still like, yeah, let's go and let's go, you know, let's go hunt some aliens. <laughs> just like, I thought yeah. that was a really like... Predator thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a few bits in in here I wasn't I wasn't sure about. These were the things that I sort of had a little bit weird memories of. In general, you know, I I would agree with Lee. You know, the the whole aliens as weapons thing. Like it, it's really fun in Nightmare Asylum. It's really fun in Book Two. You know, when it's doing it for the first time, really, and it's impressive in Three World War because somebody yes finally controlled the aliens, and and it's impressive in this one because humans finally controlled the aliens very unequivocally controlled them you know this is no play this is no trick they are 100% in control so that's that's impressive to see and that's what I said last time but I do kind of bristle a little bit at the whole wave combat of you know using the aliens as this this swarm kind of thing because it's not massively interesting in terms of in terms of combat but it makes for some really interesting visuals and there's some fantastic descriptions as well and there's little bits of it like you know where the marines survive the initial onslaught the raid ships swoop down drop all the aliens and the marines barely survive against this and then oh shit there's more coming so there's some really in- interesting visuals there and, and that's kind of threatening but i think it's this this book introduces the breathing apparatus am i am i right it was, was yeah. that what they, they observed it during that initial chapter on their backs and i'm sure we all have the same thought like xenomorphs should be able to yeah. survive in vacuum without that so that that was something that I wasn't massively fussed on in this, but where where one of my opinions did sort of change was I remember the big deal being made of the aliens self destructing upon death, and I think my from my initial read my opinion was, but why they normally just spur acid everywhere anyway? But I was thinking about this one as well, and it's like yeah, but we only really see that when they've been hammered with uh, the smart gun or uh, the explosive tipped pulse rifle rounds and stuff like that. So maybe the aliens don't aren't quite as naturally acidly explodey as, as aliens portrays them to be. So I kind of mellowed on that one a little bit on this read through, especially because then it also, you know, the, the rage want to keep how they are controlling the alien secret. So it also factors into them destroying the evidence of yeah. the crazy nanobots in, in the alien system. So this time round, that was something where my opinion changed and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm on board with that. Perhaps they don't always explode naturally. So that'll be a good extra way of getting uh, extra damage in, especially with the way you're utilizing them as just throwing them all at there. And we see some really good acid deaths in this. Yeah. You know, they they mm. make some use of it. Because a lot of the, the soldiers wear these protective suits, but then it'll describe once the acid finally penetrates into the suits and what it does to their bodies. And yeah, it's it's pretty horrific descriptions. I mean, did you guys have any thoughts on those particular elements? 
Yeah, well, I, something that I didn't remember is that quite often when you're talking about the aliens exploding, I, I always remembered it as that, like you'd kill them and they literally blow up. And But uh, quite a few times in this, it's actually described as them melting down rather than, you know, physically exploding. They just sort of, you know, melt themselves into nothingness, which again ties into you saying, Aaron, you know, the rage trying to withhold the secret of how they're controlling them. You know, they, they just they destroy themselves. So there's no evidence left. It does always kind of feel a little bit weird when they do go into sort of acidy or melty kind of affecting the aliens because you're like, wait, that's your trick. Like when uh, Leban did Out of the Shadows and they had an acid gun in that, I was like, surely that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, when, when they're trying to use their own sort of tricks on the aliens, it does feel a little bit weird. But yeah, narratively, I thought it worked really well within the, the world and the intent that was going off here. So it yeah. definitely didn't bother me as much as I remember it being the first time around. So Adam, you, you were wanting to talk about the Tans, I believe. Yeah, so these are two new characters that are introduced on this way out there space station that they just call Hell. But this space station was really interesting. It was very much, uh, it was previously run by Whalen Utani, but it became independent. And it, it became this place in the outer rim where people went to get away, people of all kinds and pirates or just explorers. And, and it had these awesome nightclubs on the, the station and everything. And, and so it was, it was interesting seeing this station, which they never expected really anything of consequence to happen there. And then this major point of, of the, the war that's going on happens at this station. And these two new characters get drawn into the conflict. And these characters are in their 70s and they're pretty uh for being in their 70s and it made me think oh i guess people just survive a bit longer in the alien universe with medical tech or i mean technically in the alien universe peter whalen should have made a cure for cancer by now right so yeah it, it makes a point of saying they're they're healthy for their age and i thought they were good characters too these were ones i did actually remember and I, I was kind of waiting for a lot of the book for them to show up because I remember quite liking Tan, actually. And it, it, it's interesting because they're not quite the alien experts that, like I say, is for the Predators, but they are the books, they are the series as alien experts. And they have a very interesting life on the run kind of aspect to it that I, I really enjoyed. You know, they are because the, the, I mean, the first book kind of talks a little bit about, you know, anti Wayland sentiment, you know, the terrorist groups that they blamed some of the initial rage attacks on. And then we finally get they're not really the same, you know, but it, it's the sentiment because these guys were on the run for going after Wayland, you know, uh, for their part they played in their son's death. I do think they have a lot more to do in the next book because it's kind of like when uh, Hallie was introduced in Incursion where she didn't get a great deal to do to start with. But then like she and her squad in this one have a lot of meat, you know, a lot of character work going off in this, especially towards the end when they basically mutiny, <laughs> you know, go AWOL, sorry. And that surprised me. I did not remember that setup when <laughs> the the Whalen yutani scientist, um, is it McKeven? Mc Milt McIlveen. <laughs> when he when he takes a knife, I did not remember that. I was like, I think I actually said that. I was like, holy shit, when that happened in there. That was one of the most interesting parts of the book, honestly, because Isa had kind of been developing this friendship with him, but she kept making this point like, well, I don't really know who he is. And he definitely has these deep loyalties with the company. And it had come to a contention a few times between them where they had debated the merits of the company as growing beyond just this mega corporation to this actual human governing body. And there was a debate 
debate whether they really need any more power, even if it's power to supposedly quell this invasion by the rage, what would they do with such a power after this conflict? And and it presented an interesting question that this group wasn't so certain about. And so when Milt made the idiotic move of pulling a gun on them, uh, they took care of him rather quickly. Yeah, that, that was an interesting curveball in the book. And it was nice to have the meat of these guys actually making that decision as well, because we're always given, you know, the Marines follow orders, you know, that that kind of mentality to it. And yes, Hallie isn't, you know, the most faithful to them. She is sort of under the 13th, not the 13th, one member of the 13th's name. We're always going to struggle with the names in this because there's just Marshall, so many. Is it, is it Marshall it. or is it Barkley? Marshall. It's Marshall. Yeah, yeah Barkley's the leader of the Wayland yutani 13. So, you know, she doesn't really like Marshall, but to, to see them make that decision and then go against it all was nice to actually see those characters get a bit of meat and a bit of development, especially throughout the book. And she might not like Marshall, and we all know that Wayland Yutani's evil and everything, but Tim does a good job in this with the scenes we get with Marshall. He's like, I wish you wouldn't hate me so much. Like, yeah, so it was kind of interesting. He's, he's not a bad guy in how he, like, sort of talks to, you know, he's always interacting with the general of the colonial marines you know the commander-in-chief of the colonial marines and it's very sort of little interesting humanizing moments for both of them because they're these immensely powerful figures and you know you always think of wayland yutani as the, the evil corporate overlords and you know that, that's the theme of alien and you know it is the the evil corporations and, t- and to that extent you sort of perhaps not so much with the general i, I forget his name as well there's too many characters that's it Leo always fucking know. This is why you run the Xenopedia. <laughs> all the all the name memories. You don't sort of hate the military leadership as much, you know, by nature. But he does sort of represent the the big bads of military kind of stuff. But with with these two, they're always very sort of humanizing each other and not being dicks to each other. And it makes for an interesting little comparison with the way they are portrayed and interact with then like some of the perspectives of like Isopalan and this decision to shank a Wayland scientist because he wants to follow orders. But I think we said it before, you know, Tim is a really good writer and it's little moments like that that I really enjoy. But then he's also fucking brilliant with world building. I think relatively early on, there's what, two chapters where it's just red shirts getting slaughtered just to show red shirts getting slaughtered. But he takes the time to really build all these, you know, these guys up before he slaughters them off. And and it doesn't, some books you kind of get that that little weak sort of set up towards a guy that's just about to be off. And it never quite felt weak here. It, it just felt like really good character and world building before he slaughtered them. And it just worked really well. I really want Tim to come back and do another another Alien or Predator book. No youcher, please. They are predators. <laughs> but hey, it's become yeah, I'd really like to books. see him back. Yeah, I mean this is this is a very epic space opera presentation for Alien versus Predator, more so than we've ever seen before. And I think it really works here. But yeah, I would love to see Tim come back as well. There are some interesting little details in this as well. So like this is one of only a few handful of things that law wise don't think you'd survive a chest to be removed. Yeah, I'm I'm never like fully you on board like with that. that. I've always kind of liked the there there's a sliver of hope that maybe and I always found it kind of cool like in the old PS1 game Alien Resurrection where if you got implanted with a chest burster you would go around looking for this surgical device to take it out. So I think that's that's an interesting part of the whole thing where you're not like 100% doomed, you're like 95% doomed. If if you can find a way to remove it, having that sliver of hope there, I think if anything it intensifies the dread because there's a chance 
and you have to do everything you can. But Colonial Marines in the game, I think that might have been the first to introduce it, maybe? I'm fairly sure it came from the tech manual. Oh, did it? Okay. Even if you take it out, the placenta in there is like a cancer and it'll eventually kill you in the span of days, if not weeks. But yeah, as as far as just like personal lore preference, but again, we see little lore differences all the time between something with this big of an expanded universe. So things like that, I can just kind of look past personally. I just imagined you raging. (laughs) It doesn't make me rage. It's just one of those things where I'm like, I prefer it this other way, but okay. Any thoughts on that one, Leo? Is that just not, not something that bothers you? I've always liked going way back to Aliens magazine. The idea is also something Alex White played with in the books they wrote. The idea that the facehugger doesn't literally put an alien in you. It injects you with something that makes your own body create the, the chestburster from its own tissue. And the idea that you could take that out, but you would still die, ties into that quite well, because your body has obviously been messed up on the inside. You know, So even if you take the malignancy out, you're still going to die. So I actually quite like that idea. But it's not a bugbear of mine or anything, but it's, 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 it's an idea that I quite like. It wasn't something that annoys me or anything. I just, it's one of those little moments that I find interesting. There was another moment, speaking of like the young aliens, you know, there was another moment in this that I thought was, huh, okay, that's cool. Was when this is where I completely confused which group of characters was doing what. But I think it was Johnny at Mains and, and his group of people, yeah, the other excursionists. Oh, and as an aside there as well, uh, just talking back to Tim's character and world building, we, we get them for a little chunk of the book, you know, these. Durante. Yeah, that was the series yeah. name, wasn't it? Yeah. And how much I love those guys. I do, it doesn't need to give me much page space. He's good with he's good with banter. And like that's a good way to get you to like characters. Like just a little bit of banter thrown in, witty banter, and it makes them likable people. You know, it's the it's what it's what Cameron did in Aliens. Yes, you know, I was gonna say even the guys alien. who die first, they have, you know, like Frost is one of the first to go, but he's got what are we supposed to use, man? Harsh language. You know, that makes him a memorable character. Real quick, before we move on, I wanted to make one more point about that little lore thing. It's still a difference we see sometimes, like even in the recent Marvel comics, right, with Gabriel, because he survived giving birth to an alien and it psychologically affected him. Like he was somehow linked to the aliens after that. And that's also kind of an interesting. That was interesting. So that kind of goes with the, oh, this is kind of how I like it, where it's like this. There's a chance of surviving. So yeah, but again, it's not like a a big deal for me or anything. It's just interesting that this has been this little piece of lore that kind of goes this way, then it goes the other way. So yeah, that's fair. Completely distracted me now. And I'd already distracted myself, Adam. (laughs) I think, were you going to say about the young aliens? Yes, I was. Because that was such a fun little moment where I, I, I wouldn't, I didn't remember it and I wouldn't have expected it, you know, where the Marines are trying to escape, the excursionists are trying to escape and they're like, oh, we'd barely fit through these these ducting. So there's no chance that the aliens are going to get through there. So the androids generals like, it's fine. I'll just send the babies in. They'll fit. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant was this just send the young aliens in. Sure, they're just going to get blasted to fuck like all the aliens have been. But it was just one of those little tiny details of, of tactical decision making where I was like, yeah, OK, this is fun. Yeah. I, I, I'm aboard for this. Uh, 
that, that one gave me a smile. It kind of reminded me of those little aliens in Alien Covenant. Well, it just comes out like yeah. that, you know, instead of a chestburster. But I just imagine those little things like crawling in there is like, oh, that's that's creepy. I think they're in the RPG as well. I think they call them imps in the RPG, if I remember rightly. Ooh. But I'm assuming you liked that one as well, Lee. Yeah, yeah. I because um, Yeah, because, you know, the general starts birthing all their aliens there and then. So, you know, I presume they take some amount of time to grow to, to adulthood. So, yeah, just all the ones that are still small enough to fit in this little ductway where they're hiding out he sends them all in so you get these like not not chest bursters but you know juvenile sort of smaller aliens going after him yeah that was it was a great little touch it was like you said it was it showed you intelligence on the part of the general it was good tactical thinking but it was also just fun and something that we don't really tend to see you know in the films they birth and then the next time you see them they're generally a full-grown adult so it was it was a nice glimpse into sort of a, a bit that we don't normally get any uh, that, that's one of the moments from Alien 3 I'm always a little disappointed with you know because they very distinctly have a juvenile version of, of the runner but he's so enclosed in shadow that you can't really tell you know you have to look at some of the puppets to to see what he is as this younger form of alien that's the thing they're off they're off hiding yeah, so true. they can so they can grow grown. but since they're being controlled he'll just send them all in there the androids were interesting as well because i think tim did a, a fairly good job of making them distinct you know they, they he did give them little bits of personalities and stuff though I, I was disappointed with how he ended the one that attacked the planet that Palant was on, you know, Rommel. the one that we, yeah, Rommel, the one where we see he goes into a cave and then yeah. the marine, the marines are like, you know, we're going to have to go him after after and him, then he right? just self-destructs. It cuts to later where he's, the guys decided he's just going to blow himself up to, again, preserve their technology. But that one did feel like an editorial snip. I'm not going to lie. I expected more of a pursuit there into the caves. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, but yeah, I, I I do like the the generals. Yeah, the one on um on the ship we were just talking about with the baby aliens. I think that was Jones, weren't Jones? It? Yeah, who Tim says is it's a it's a named for a fictional historical military commander, and he gives you a little a little bit of blurb about what this commander did and why they were so well, well known, but. Well, yeah, but yeah, the Jones, I love way he hacks into their suit radio and is just giving them shit while, while they're trying to fight him for their lives running from these <laughs> aliens. And he's just mocking them over the radio. Or she, should I say, because uh, the android's named for a female commander. Yeah, just, just you know, just, just rubbing salt in the wound. And again, it, it's character, it's charisma. It, it makes them charismatic. This is why we love Hoob so much. It's just Tim's ability to just endear you to characters. And there was, you know, again, uh, visuals as well. The, the the fine ships and I, I guess the Othello had some in as well but like the, the the visuals of these different cryo units because they were described as like these sort of grotesque trees that in my mind were a little bit more matrix than perhaps yeah, I was going to say they yeah. brought up some matrix vibes but that that was really cool and like the visuals of fire in zero G and and the effects of like the plasma weaponry and and what had happened in in the the ships you know the damage that was done by all like the the zero G fire and the combat and stuff I was like damn it Tim this is good this is good man I love the bit where uh, Durante and the uh, Rage Rebel when they go out and they're in zero gravity on fire just kind of floating together wreathed in flame like that was an awesome visual I would like to see you know we talked last time about the potential of an audio adaptation of this but i'd actually be quite interested to see a comic one just to see how some people would like try and tackle things like the phase 
Oh, we got the name of the phase in this as well. You know, the, yeah. the weird goop alien builder creature that goes around building all the dog aliens. Improving all the rage ships. Yeah. And they just let it do its thing. But it keeps kind of alluding to the importance of the phase. And so, again, I wonder how this is going to play into the third book, because we've had two books now describing this thing that has been largely responsible for the technological improvements of the rage ships. But it's just this mysterious thing. that They just let creep around its ship and improve everything. I love the idea of it. I think it's brilliant because, you know, we we tend to... We, we always describe a lot of the biomechanical to Alien because it's part of Giga's style, but we don't always get to kind of see it. And, and the idea of the phase literally growing technology, extruding technology, you know, it, it was something Tim sort of talked about when he first introduced us to the dog alien and it looked like their ship was grown. You know, to actually see it more in action, to see it more of a part of this particular narrative, I think it was a really nice tie into, you know, that alien vibe and, and actually get to experience it, you know that, that was great i really i really do love the phase um any other points that you guys had on 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 your minds that you wanted to talk about with this one the book has three nightmare sequences so that was kind of interesting it opens with a nightmare sequence yeah i remember i remember remember palance i can't remember the others uh lilia has johnny one. has one and lilia uh, has yeah, one yeah yeah yeah, which it's interesting since Lily is an android, it goes into more about she just can intentionally decide to sleep and have these dreams. And so it, it's part of her goal to being more human. And she talks about that, how the older she's become, the more human she's become. But then there's also, bit, you know what, I thought about this and I meant to write it down because I can't remember what part it is. But then she also talks about a part later on where she has to remind herself that she isn't human and that's a comfort to her. And I can't remember what it's in reference to, but I remember it sort of sticking out to me because I was like, yeah, but that's not your jam. You don't like to remember that you're not human. And that's going to bug me now. This is what I get for lists while I'm driving. I cannot write notes. <laughs> yeah, she does have a bit of a back and forth. I remember in, in the first book when she's getting tortured and she says that when they're built, they have to decide whether they want the ability to feel pain or not. Mm-hmm. And she decides that she wants the ability to feel pain because she wants to be more human. But then when she's getting like the shit tortured out of her by the predators, she's thinking like, you know, why didn't I just take the no pain option? But but then as she's thinking that she's hating it because it's reminding her that she isn't human, that she's a robot. So, yeah, there's there's an interesting sort of duality there with her. I really like her as a character, actually. And it was great to see her interactions with the predator who captured her and tortured her, you know, Ishori. And that was such a fun chemistry between the two as they was going on through this book that I'd kind of a little bit forgot, but I was really enjoying. I really like Ishori because I didn't think she was overly, you know how I hate this space samurai kind of bullshit that Perry did. Eleven doesn't fall into this trap. And I, I just really like it because she seems more, Jory seems a bit more three-dimensional yeah. in her decision-making. They still have that kind of predator attitude, but they're not like over the top about it, you know? Yeah, they're, they're not Klingons. They're not space samurais. And it's it's why I never quite minded him calling them the Yauja because he didn't use that culture. You know, they are not the Yauja from Perry's books. It's just, again, because Levin thought it was a cool name. I'm, I'm sorry, Tim. I'm never going to forgive you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 portrayal of the predators in this i thought was much better and it sat better with me you know it wasn't on the nose kind of thing and and they were very competent in this book as well you know that was a complaint we had in the last one they they got mowed down a bit more but in this book you know we get to see the predator ships joining battles uh, against the rage you know they saved the humans 
a, a good few, a couple of times in this book. And, you know, they showed up on, on the Othello and they were the ones that captured the robot, yep. the synthetic general. You know, the Predators are sort of on the periphery of the story in this one. But when they make their presence known, they have a real big impact. Like the, the moment where it was leading them to the Predator asteroid habitat, I was like, this is so fucking cool. Yeah, for sure. Because it's like, oh, we're going to a Predator science lab now. This is going to be awesome. And so that's another thing I'm looking forward to the next book. But yeah, the the interactions we had, the social dynamic between Lilia and this female Predator was, was really cool. On top of the interactions we got with Issa and the Predators and her kind of desire for there to, she says like, I want humans and Predators to fight alongside each other after this, like in the future. So she wants this truce to go beyond this war. But given what we know about the Predator's tendencies, how realistic is that? I guess I'll find out. Well, we're, we're on the subject of Hashori as well. I'm going to doff my cap to Tim because he doesn't stick boobs on the female predators. Like we <laughs> we don't even definitively know that Hashori is yeah. female. Lilia just from her interactions with her decides that oh, you know, yeah. she sounds like she's female, but she can't tell. It just looks like another predator, and that's 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 one of my pet hates is the sort of voluptuous female predator look. And I like mm-hmm. I like the idea that you can't really tell. You know, they, there's not a lot of dimorphism there. So, I, yeah, fair play, Tim. I appreciate that. Yeah, this was before Hunting Grounds made the boobs canon. Let's be fair, the, boob, the boobs has always been, maybe not officially. Well, no, Perry gave them boobs, didn't he? I think, Perry, I think Perry gave them boobs. And it's always been something I've disliked as well. I forget which of the old authors talked about it. It might have been Shirley. I can't remember. But one of the old authors from the DH Press era, you know, said that Dark Horse had a guide a universe guide, a franchise guide, where they said, you know, by the time you're close enough to know what gender a predator is, you're dead. And that was always the way I liked it. So I'm completely aboard with Lee and I do very much like that interpretation. I'm never I'm never not gonna think that just slapping tits on a predator is anything <laughs> other than lazy character design. I'm sorry, Elphonic, I hate it. I hate it so much. So yes, thank you, Tim. Thank you very much. <laughs> the connoisseur's depiction of female predators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something else. Um, it was something we touched on in the last one, actually. We mentioned the similarities between these books and Mass Effect. Anyone who has played Mass Effect 2 will recognize the space station hell that, that Rich Omega. mentioned Omega is Omega yeah. from, from Mass Effect 2. And the similarities are so obvious. And again, it wasn't something that bothered me. I could see why people might be bothered by it, but it's there's a lot of very interesting and quite obvious parallels between the games and these books, which is fine because I love the games, so I'm quite happy to see that kind of stuff in here. I'd forgotten about Hell when I was reading this and off the back of our conversation about it last time, when I got to that bit in the book, I was like, how did I forget this? Because it's perhaps the most blatant similarity between the two that crops up in the whole trilogy. So as, as somebody who's... Again, still not played Mass Effect, but I've downloaded it. The anniversary... Yeah, it's on Game Pass. Well, it was on free on uh, PlayStation's equivalent or whatever it is. So I have purchased it and I will play it. But as somebody who is an, an infidel and has not experienced it yet, do you think it's intentional, all the similarities? I don't know, but I would be interested to find out. I mean, if it is, like... We're going to have to tweet him. It definitely reminded me of that. Yeah, I'd be really interested to find out because it's either a, a big coincidence or he's a fan of the games, which is fine. Like I said, it wasn't something that bothered me. It was just something I noticed. So yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know. We'll just tweet him about it. There's uh, w- one more thing I wanted to mention. And I was I was chatting about this with, with Hicks before we came on. The, the Rage Generals are all named 
for historical military commanders you've got alexander alexander the great rommel for erwin rommel and there's one mentioned at the end of this book who then goes on to be a big character in the third book called mashima and i cannot for the life of me work out who they are named for and it's been driving me mad so if anyone out there listening has any idea who mashima is referring to I will send you some cornbread if you let us know, because I really want to know. <laughs> it's proper bugging me. So yeah, if anyone has an answer, I would really appreciate it. Gold star for you. So get those tweets in, get those comments in, give, give Lee those suggestions and earn that goddamn cornbread. Although I have to say, Lee, have you had any? Because it's just, it's not a thing I know of over just here. Just to legally cover myself here, I'm not actually going to send anyone cornbread. <laughs> I, I still want to try i hate corn but we i have want to some try good it cornbread in the states i've had a corn dog which as i understand it is just cornbread round a hot dog and oh, that was pretty good okay yeah. i love corn dogs so i guess maybe i will like cornbread then yeah any other little elements or specific bits from invasion that you guys want to talk about it's just cool i wish i would have read this when it first came out i just should have because it's cool to see titan do these trilogies right like we had well actually this is the most direct trilogy i think they've done because the out of the shadows books were more loosely connected than these this is like one overarching trilogy story yeah i was gonna say even more so than the first bantam trilogy because that they 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 were a trilogy but they were sort of individual stories i think this might be the only time we've ever had a trilogy that flows so seamlessly it's a part one part yeah like you you couldn't just pick up alien invasion and read it i mean you could but you wouldn't get half as much out of it as you would if you read the first one and then read the last one you know it really is one complete work yeah they just released this really thick out of the shadows trilogy with all three so they should do the same with this one and have it be like avp the rage war trilogy it would it would it would make more sense with this because the other trilogy river of pain really had sod all to do with the other two exactly it was entirely standalone yeah, whereas whereas this is, like I said, it's, it's a continuous work. It's one whole complete piece. Mm-hmm. Completely agree there. And it's far better than what they're attempting to do at the minute with the, you know, Christian from Perfect Organism, I think tends to call it the uh, the RPG trilogy. So definitely been their more cohesive attempt at a, a big crossover like this. Having a single author undoubtedly helped with that. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's Le Bon show, you can... I prefer it over Dark Horse's, all of Dark Horse's attempts, I think. You know, things like Xenogenesis and Fire and Stone. I think this has been more satisfying than all of those. Although I bet Lee hasn't read many of those. What, what about you, Adam? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to just see a story in this universe so far in, into the future, you know, the late 2600s. But yeah, the universe they've created, if you like Mass Effect, like it very much feels like a Mass Effect space opera version of the alien universe. And I can dig it. It's like I said in our last podcast, it's not something I would want for every alien story. I feel like for the most part, the alien stories are better as these more intimate horror oriented things. But as this this own separate thing, I think it works really well. Well, I'll say, but more co- more compared to the other big events. If we're comparing it to Three World War, which again was a bit disconnected because they took place in like different time periods. Well, I'm I'm, th- I'm thinking more Fire and Stone, Life and Death, rather than Three World War. Zena I mean, I'll have Genesis, to see how know. how it ultimately ends up with the third book. But so far, yeah, I feel like Fire and Death and Life and Stone were a bit convoluted and crazy, and this feels a bit more focused. So, yeah, I would definitely say as far as like larger event, multiple stories is one thing. This is one of the strongest, if not the strongest, we've seen. As you said, I've I've not read a lot of the comics, but I have read the original Bantam novel trilogy. And slightly controversially, I'm not a huge fan of those early stories. 
you don't like Nightmare Asylum, do you? No, I don't. I, I, the, oh, the art is just superb. It's just, to be fair, I got went to it for the novel first. And in the novel, Spears is just too much of a dick for me to believe that someone wouldn't have stabbed him in the back already. Spears is so much better in the books than in the comic, in my opinion. And I love uh, that. See, I just, the whole way through, I just couldn't believe that someone hadn't already shot him in the face. Yeah, but the, the, the whole point is everybody's so scared of him. Yeah, but he's just one guy and there's 50 Marines and any one of them could be fed to an alien for not shying up their shoelace like at a moment's notice. He wouldn't He wouldn't have survived. But anyway, I digress. Compared to that novel trilogy, this is leaps and bounds ahead of it. I think this is like comfortably the better trilogy. And it's comfortably better than the other Alien trilogy that Titan put out, which I enjoyed. But like I said, these are some of my favourite Alien Predator books because they're just so different and so memorable and so much fun. Fun, fun is a good way to describe this entire event. Yeah, definitely. Let's mention it now before we forgot. Oh no, is it relevant? The whole Greyback relation thing from Kerlak to... It's still kind of interesting. You brought it up, so... In the first book, yeah. Yeah, we, we forgot to talk about this on the last podcast. and That's because I'd remembered it as implying that Kalakta was Greyback, you know, the, the Predator Elder, whereas uh, I think Lee and Adam took it as a relation of, Yeah, he's. Of I, I took it that Kalakta is descended from someone who was in the group of Predators at the end of Predator 2. I think he could be related, possibly, because he talks of it as his parent hunting party, but the, the book also... I'm not keen on this. The book implies the Predator's like 10,000 years old. So, you know, if he is that that old, sure, he could have been great back. He could have been knocking around. This guy's old. I don't like it. I don't like the idea that the Predators could be around that long. A good couple of hundred years, sure, but not 10,000. That, that's, that's a little bit of Predator biology stretch for me, I think. But that, that, that was something from the last book. But you guys have any thoughts on that one? I mean, it kind of goes to something we've we've seen and taken issue with here and there in the recent Predator books, Aaron. There can sometimes be these random callbacks, and it seems like they're just placed there for fan service. Sometimes it works, a lot of times it doesn't. I didn't see this as a big issue. It was just like, oh, Predator 2 callback, sure, whatever, you know. But I don't think it really uh, was necessary, honestly. But yeah, if it was more overt, I think like you were saying, Lee, it's implied that he's a descendant of, if not Greyback, then one of the Lost Tribe. But I think if it was like, oh, he once hunted on Earth and and like if it was explicit that he was Greyback, I'd be like, oh, come on, book. So I'm glad it wasn't a direct kind of link thing. I, I quite liked it, actually. I, I agree with Adam in as much that normally callbacks uh, just take me out at the moment. But this one, it was it was such a sort of offhand comment. And also it was a reference to something that doesn't ever really get referenced to. Like at the time, there weren't really any nods to Predator 2, you know, in, in, in the EU that I was aware of anyway. So it was like, oh, that's neat. They're actually, you know, they're giving Danny Glover some love, you know. So I, 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 I quite enjoyed it. But as for the 10,000 years, I don't actually remember that. So I'll have to plead the fifth on that one. Yeah, I didn't remember seeing that explicitly said either. 
And it says like 10,000 suns. You know, it's all broken up kind of part of the translation. And so you can kind of get away with, yeah, that, that's not what that meant. But I mean, that that's how I, just flicking back over it, you know, before we were recording, just to, as we were debating what was said. I'm certainly not keen with the idea of Predators being that long lived. That's a bit extreme. For me personally, it's like one to 2,000 years, somewhere in there. That's because still we've, too much we've, for me. We've explicitly seen some 1,000. And we've seen humans vampire the predators and last more than a thousand years as well. So for me, it's well, like got, there's what, there's solid enough evidence. Hard. I think it was like the back of a NECA figure said like over a thousand years old or something. So there's been a few instances of of predators being described as over a thousand. So I'm like between one thousand to two thousand years, I can kind of go with. But most of them die in combat before then anyway, right? So, if they're lucky. Yeah. yeah. Bless them. Bless them. <laughs> Going out there, getting killed, being all cocky and whatnot. Bringing honor to their family. No, no honor. They're just out there having fun, goddammit. <laughs> anyway, any other points you guys want to talk about with invasion or incursion that we might have forgot from last time? I think that's pretty much it for me. Yeah. Do we want to do scores? What did you give it, Aaron? I know you reviewed it. It'll, it'll have been a seven point something. You know what? I'm curious now myself as to whether I actually re- reviewed it as better than uh, Incursion at the time. So I gave Incursion a 7.2. God, I fucking hate myself that long ago. Oh, no, I gave it the same, 7.2. I I think I'd go with more of 7 for this one because, uh, again, towards the end, a lot of the events started to get a little bit similar and kind of confusing as, as we've done in this episode. I think I'd say it was a seven, whereas I give, you know, I give incursion a seven point five. I probably agree with that. Yeah. Difficulty I'm having here is I can't remember what rating I gave incursion in the last podcast. But whatever rating I gave it, I would probably give this a half, maybe one less. Like I said, I I, I really enjoyed it. I just didn't enjoy it quite as much as the first one. Yeah. I think we can all agree it's a solid read. But if you're going to read these, read them in order because it's one story. And and read them relatively close to each other as well. You'll want to, I think we we've discovered. I I wasn't. I genuinely wasn't expecting to want to crack on as much as I have. You know, I don't remember the weight with these ones being excruciating, but with the enjoyment I'm having now, I think I'd be a little bit pissed off <laughs> waiting waiting for the next release because I'm, I'm just having so much fun with with these books, and I'm really looking forward to doing Armageddon. I think I must have waited until they all came out because I don't remember waiting between them. I think maybe I knew because I knew it was a, a proper trilogy. I think maybe I waited until they were all out. But yeah, like you said, I mentioned it in the last one. I've been off, you know, Alien and Predator stuff. But when I started reading the first one of these, Hicks and I were both just itching to get onto this second one. And now we're both itching to get onto the third one because we're enjoying mm-hmm. it so much. We want to get it finished. Which, again, is, is contrary to the habits I've developed lately as well i don't like binge reading series as you know even even the franchise uh, alien and predator i will normally read an alien thing and then go to something else so i don't burn out on on alien so i don't burn out on predator but this one i'm just like yep all the way through please let's keep going so it's a credit to tim it's very much a credit to tim right i guess i guess we're done for this one then our first podcast of 2023 did you say what episode we're on aaron i don't know if you did we are on 150 nine which makes which makes the marvel one 160 on the next release and i don't know how we're going to feel about that one yet because you haven't read past the first issue as of recording i've read two issues so read two issues and I, I, eric hasn't read any yet those take me much shorter than than the books well of course 
But uh, yeah, that'll be our next podcast. We're recording that just a few days after this one, actually, where we review the first arc of the Marvel Predator series. Right off the bat, I will say it seems better than their, their <laughs> kickoff of the Alien series, at least their initial one. And then 161 after that will be Armageddon. We'll be completing the Rage War trilogy, which I am looking forward to, and I'm sure you guys are as well. And then I, not long, I don't know if it'll be immediately after or there'll be a gap, but then we'll also be tackling one of the recent ones and doing Aliens Vasquez. We're doing, we actually are doing a lot of binge reading at the minute of the alien stuff so uh, <laughs> and the Predator stuff, but I'm in the mood. I'm enjoying it. I won't be after Vasquez. We still have a number of new ones we haven't done yet, like the Rift War, another war. R- Rift War. Yeah, let's not also, go there. We, we've had fun. We've had fun. We, we yeah, let's, end, let's end on a positive. When does Enemy of My Enemy come out? February, is it? February, yes. Okay. So that, that one should be relatively recent, uh, relatively soon as well, sorry, should we say. And then there's nothing on the slate? No, Alien Arc 3. That'll be finishing soon as well. Oh, well, I mean, there's no Titan books on the slate currently. Not unless currently. something is revealed with the coming soon page of enemy of my enemy which is how we always used to learn about the books yeah they don't seem to do it as much anymore but we'll say hopefully not i mean we we know that there's some do we do we know not for sure but it seems like things are moving forward at yeah, they, right i mean they, they were soliciting stuff we know that well they've really been hitting it with the books lately so i wouldn't be surprised if they maybe lay off the gas a little for a while well, especially with the quality of last year. It was such a... No, stop it, Aaron. Stop it. <laughs> Rage War Fun. We'll talk Marvel next episode. Um, a more positive Marvel, at least for me, um, experience than the Alien stuff has been. And then we'll be back for what I'm sure will be another gushing of love for Tim Lebon in Armageddon. I don't know. I might be surprised Adam might not like the conclusion. I doubt it, but we'll see. Lady, do you want to pimp out Xenopedia? Yep, avp.fandom.com, drop by, contribute, read, say hello. Uh, We do have a forum on there somewhere, I believe. Be good to hear from you. Just don't read into a microphone and then post it to YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Without proper accreditation, anyway. Yes. By all means, use us as a resource, but please do give some credit. It's not just me. There's a lot of people that contribute to it, and it's not very nice to see other people using your work. Indeed. Adam, what about us? Well, you can find us at avpgalaxy.net, and you can find Lee there as well. So yeah, come join us on our forum to uh, discuss on our old school message boards with other fans. But you can also find us on all the major socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. If you'd like to follow me personally, it's at RidgeTop21 on both Twitter and Instagram. And for me, it's at underscore Corporal Hicks, just on Twitter. I don't have as many uh, fancy photos to share as Adam does with his uh, awesome toy photography stuff that he's doing. Who knows, if I get obsessed with these Mezco things, I might. it might lead me down a horrible path. We'll see. Yes, yes, do it. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. Like Adam says, you know, please do go check out the website. Please do go check out the YouTube channel. We're putting a lot of work into our own videos and articles and stuff like that. Very excited for what I'm working on on the minute about a unused treatment for a third Alien versus Predator film, which at the minute, I'm only just at the start of editing the video. I don't know whether it'll no, it probably won't be out by the time this video is out, but keep an eye out because I'm very excited for that one. Yeah, we've wanted to get this one out for a while. We've we've had this one to our chest for a little while, so it'll be nice to finally release it. I've sort, it sort of started me down a bit of a, a rabbit hole because I'm there with Adam like, we should do more lore stuff, but I keep doing 
doing alternate film stuff. So I've already started writing it. What if Dutch had been in Predator 2 kind of thing? And then I'm also like, we've got that anime one slightly under the shelf that I need to get going as well. So we have lots of unused concept things to talk about that I'm very much excited to uh, put out there for everybody. So yeah, please keep an eye on the website. Please keep an eye out on the YouTube channel for those pieces. Yeah, I expect it's going to be a busy year for us moving forward, especially if filming actually kicks off with the new Alien movie. But yeah, we have a lot of things planned ourselves as well. So stay tuned. If you're listening to this and you haven't really you know, joined in with some of the other bits and bobs, something we're going to try and do this year is more community events. We did one on the live stream. We've got another one this weekend, but we're also going to try and get semi-regular events in that aren't part of the live stream where we just get together. We all get in a Discord channel. How much fun was that Clone and Marine night? That was great. We were wondering if we would get full lobbies, but we did. Yeah. And it was a fun time. So thank you to everyone who who joined us on that. And also thank you to our YouTube subscribers. We just finally passed 13K. So again, we really appreciate your support. The little YouTube channel that could. We're, yeah. we're trying. We're trying. Anyway, thank you, everybody. This has been Corporal Higgs. Bridgetop. And who the fuck am I? Signing off. <laughs>